As we continue to worship, I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and I will read the first nine verses. Please follow as I read in your text or listen as I read from God's Word. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Actually, 1 to 10. We'll go right down to verse 10. Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we gather here in this place, may we already be very much aware of your presence as we have sung hymns and prayed and read your word. Lord, that we know that you are with us here today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. We ask, Lord, as we look to your word, your holy, inerrant, perfect word, that our minds would be able to understand its truth through the Holy Spirit, and that our hearts will respond in obedience to its commission in our lives. We pray in all of this, Lord, that you alone would receive the glory because you alone are worthy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question about, shall we say, the social environment in which we live this morning. We talk about this at camp all the time, but let me ask you a question to yourself now. You don't have to blur out the answer, but if you were to use one or maybe two words to describe the state of the world today, what might that word be? Think for a moment. As you gaze across the landscape of society, politically, economically, socially, internationally, whatever, what word might you use to describe? Some might say troubled, disastrous, whatever might come to mind. I suspect that the one word that you wouldn't think of is the word sane. To be sane, of course, means to have a reasonable or healthy mind, showing good judgment and understanding. It doesn't matter what news program you watch, you're not going to get a lot of that in commentary about our world. Why is that? Well, because perhaps the better word to use might be insane. As Webster's Dictionary says, to be extremely unreasonable or stupid. That maybe is a little better display of our society. Uh, Sad to say, but that's what we live in in this world. Now, if we were having a political roundtable, we might have discussions as to why this is happening and what we have to do through legislative processes to bring a change to our society and for the good, and those are all helpful. 
But I doubt if any of us here this morning would be so naive to think that just by changing who might be in government will take care of all the problems of the world. None of us really believe that, do we? As important as the political process is, Christians should be involved. We should stand up for rights as citizens. All of that is very true and biblical. But we know that the only way that any great change, significant change to our society, America, Canada, the world, doesn't matter, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we look towards. You know, sometimes at Camp Susquehanna, the summertime looks a bit insane. It looks a bit crazy. And sometimes stupid things happen at camp. This past summer, we had over 720 campers, boys and girls, attend to our camp, plus lots of staff, plus lots of other people, family camps, a lot of people coming through. And one of the things that we want to see there is change in their lives. We want them to experience their creator, as one of our taglines puts it, in a way that they will understand the gospel of Jesus Christ as the means of true change in a person's life, individually, family. Uh, worldwide, it must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the problem we have. You see, we live in a world that has frankly gone crazy, or perhaps we might say morally depraved. I like the way that Octavius Winslow, a pastor and theologian from the 1800s, said this, study what age of the world you may, travel into what climate you may, look into the face of what human being you may, and there confronts you a moral famine, a spiritual destitution of the soul, every man exhibiting his life, the existence of a raging, gnawing destitution which no created object can supply. And I think he's right. Whether it was 1863 when he wrote that or today, that's the problem. But the answer, again, must be, as we see here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have here in the text that I gave you this morning. I want to take a few minutes to think about that. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, make sure we get it right. And then how we see that as impacting the world around us. Just as we do at our camp ministry, we want the gospel to be the foundation. As kids experience creation, the programs, the fellowships that are there, we want them to come under, under the truth of the gospel because that is what God will use to actually change their hearts and bring salvation. And so we want to see that because the problem you see is, as we've noted, the world doesn't really care for the gospel. Would you agree with that? It is not, as some authors have said, the world is not a friend of grace. And so we know we have trouble with the gospel in the world, and we want to see that change. But the Apostle Paul will encourage us here that the gospel is that which will bring change, but the problem isn't just in the world, according to the Apostle Paul, it's also within the church. Now, you might balk at that idea and think, we know the gospel, we get it right. Well, probably we do, and I've met your pastor and his wife and your wonderful people, and the gospel is preached here, and I thank the Lord for that and for your support of our ministry as well. But one of the things that Paul reminds us, uh, reminds us of here is it can very easily lose our grip on the gospel in the churches. We become enamored with programs in the world, things we can do, whatever they might be, good things. But does the gospel of Jesus Christ take the center point in these things? And that's my concern as we look at God's word here today, is that this is a, a 21st century problem, and the gospel alone can answer that. And I want us to recognize the importance of the gospel in order that we might truly serve God in a way that what? That he is glorified. 
that he receives the praise as our brother prayed for here this morning, that he would get all the glory as we do, because it's not about us. It's about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. So look at this text with me for a few minutes, and I want to share here. Now again, uh, if I had the next eight or ten weeks, we could do a lovely series on the book of Galatians. We could take all the time you want this morning to lay out the introduction and the history. I'll leave most of that to your remembrance of this book and to your further study of that. I want to jump in here because you'll notice, as we'll see here this morning, that one of the important themes, if not the most important theme of this letter, is the gospel itself. That the Apostle Paul is concerned both about his reputation as an apostle, but also the fact that the gospel is somehow being diluted, it's not being followed correctly. He's concerned about that. That impacts our understanding, as he says in chapter 2, of our view of justification by grace through faith. He wants them to know and understand the freedom of the believer and the, and the role of grace in our lives. The gospel needs to take forefront in his thinking here and for us as well. Just for you note-takers, it's helpful if you want to outline the book. This is just one quick way to do that, and that's the only introductory part we'll give you. But I want you to see how the gospel is laid out here. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, what we're talking about today, I would title The Gospel and Truth. In chapter 1, verse 11 to the end of chapter 2, you have the gospel and Paul's message. Number three, the gospel and the way of salvation, chapter three and four, and the gospel and the path to freedom, chapter five and six. So you've got truth, message, salvation, freedom, all about the gospel. Now, I recognize that you can break that down into all sorts of different little subheadings, but I just want to share that because that gives us the sense of what really concerns Paul. And let me just begin here. If Paul thought the gospel was important, do you think we should find it important as well? Of course. And so it's very serious stuff he's talking about here. And I want you to see that really under three headings this morning in looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me ask you another question before we do that. What is the gospel? If I were to meet you at the local Panera Bread, well, they don't have a local one here. I guess we've got to drive all the way to Williamsport to go to Panera Bread or whatever restaurant. If I met you there and we sat down for coffee and, and I asked you the question, what is the gospel? What would you say? Now, you might have a very long and wonderful, theologically robust and biblical answer that takes about three quarters of an hour to do, but let's say you only have two minutes. What are you going to do? We want to see that here. One of my friends, Don Carson, says, the gospel is good news, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful, simple definition of the gospel. It is the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, or Another modern writer has put it very succinctly, which I like. He says, the announcement of the good news of Jesus' work, listen, to restore sinful image bearers to the rightful worship of God. Did you get that? The work of the gospel, the good news, is to restore sinful image bearers, that's us, to the rightful worship of God himself. After all, why were we created in God's image in the first place? To worship our creator. What happened to make that a very difficult thing? Sin. What is the gospel? It is the restoration of human beings like you and me, image bearers of God, to the proper place of worship of God. And Paul will help us to understand that here in three ways. The first is this. Look at verses 1 to 5, where we notice the truth about the gospel and the servant's calling. 
This is the introductory part of the letter, of course, and we don't need to spend a lot of time here. Paul uses a similar way of introducing his letters to the different churches that he writes to. But I want you to notice the ingredients here, and Paul will lay out here very clearly why the importance of the gospel, why it's so critical to him. Notice, first of all, we see that in his identity. What does he say in verses 1 and 2? Paul, an apostle, what does the next one say? Sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now just notice what he says about himself. There's part of this, what Paul is trying to do, because if you read the rest of the letter, you'll discover that there were people coming in and saying, that Paul, he wasn't a real apostle. He's just making it up. And he has to defend the fact that he is truly an apostle. And he says here, because of that, I wasn't given this job by men, No council ordained me to go and pastor churches in in this part of the world, but I got that directly from Jesus Christ and God the Father. In other words, you know his experience when he was converted. That was the Christ came down and, and saved him. He was direct connection to Jesus, and that's his calling. And notice, this Father who raised him from the dead, isn't that part of the gospel? And so his emphasis on the gospel is even within the context of his own identity as an apostle. Now again, the word apostle in the New Testament can be used two ways. The first way it could be used for anyone who is, shall we say, a follower of Jesus Christ, who is, shall we say, an ambassador, someone who takes the message of the gospel. The word apostle can be used for that, and that would be us. The other way is the way that Paul uses it of himself, as one specifically who saw Christ and was called to mission through Christ. That's not us. There are no modern-day apostles according to the Scriptures, but there are you and I who are to be the ones in the apostolic way to take the gospel to the world. He's given authority to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ called by God himself. But not only that, in verse 3 to 5, you see the purpose behind him. He's been called. This is identity that he has. But notice what it tells us here. His purpose is, again, the focus of the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we might read that and just kind of quickly get by that verse. But grace and peace, man, those are powerful words, aren't they? They aren't just kind of filler, you know, that that Paul is using for his letter. They have specific purpose there. As one writer has said, they're not just phrases he uses, but as this writer says, they're pregnant with theological substance. They they give birth to all kinds of grace. We think amazing grace, the wonderful grace of Jesus, grace, God doing for us what we don't deserve. And peace. Peace, the Bible says, that passes what? All understanding. The peace that only comes through what means? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, these are important words. And Paul lays them out here so we'll see the the substance of the gospel as being so critical. And notice what he says about his own purpose. This Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. There's the gospel again. Isn't that right? He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present. That's the gospel. In fact, if you want uh, my own little definition of of the gospel, I use the term God's rescue plan to save lost and dead sinners like you and me. 
It's the rescue plan. God comes to save us. He rescues us. And that's exactly what Paul says here. The purpose of the gospel and his purpose as a one to bring the gospel is to rescue the lost. Isn't that one of the reasons why we have evangelism efforts? We send missionaries into our communities and around the world. To what end? That through them, as they preach the gospel, God might bring in the harvest. Our brother was mentioning the harvest that we see in this fall, the, the spiritual harvest we long for. That's the gospel, goes out and does that. So Paul points that out here. Now let me just pause at that note and ask, you know, why would we think this is so important today? I mean, at Camp Susquehanna, we consider it very important. For 76 years now, we've had 76 summers together and still going. At the very core of our ministry has been the gospel. Why? Number one, because we believe God's glory is at stake in this regard. The fact that people will do all kinds of things religiously and so on, so often they don't bring glory to God. They're bringing glory to whom? To ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's what, look at how good we are. Look what we accomplished. And, so, and, and that's it. And so the gospel, understanding it, for Paul, for us as a ministry, for your church here, it is so that the glory would be God's himself. And that's important in our day and age because everything is trying to take the forefront. And God deserves it alone. But the second reason why we make it so uh, paramount at, at our camp ministry, and I know you as a church do here, is because the souls of human beings depend on it. In other words, when we want people to come to know Christ, I think it's important that we get the gospel right. That what we tell them about the gospel is not, well, you know, just, just be good and you know, love other people and go to church and maybe love Jesus. You know, very kind of, okay, but I need more than that. Their soul depends on understanding what the true gospel is. And if our definition, if our sharing of the gospel doesn't include the biblical model of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, dear friends, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It has to have that. Now, there are many other things we can talk about when we talk about the gospel, the atonement of Jesus Christ, redemption, justification, all of those wonderful uh, theological terms that are there. But in essence, if we do not speak about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have not shared the gospel. And that's why we think it's so important, because lives depend upon that. So that's Paul's calling and in many ways, it's your calling and my calling as well. If we're Christians, if we're believers in Jesus Christ today, we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ in our lifestyle, in our words, whatever it might be. I kid with people sometimes. I have to remind you that your full-time job is just to pay you so you can go share the gospel. That's all it is. Because your real calling for Jesus Christ is to declare the good news of him who loved us and gave himself for us. But notice secondly here in our text, beginning in verse 6, where Paul outlines for us here the truth of the gospel, and as I put it here, those who would disrupt it. Now this gets to the heart of some of what Paul was concerned about in this letter, and that is there were these groups of people coming in, we refer to them as Judaizers. They came into the church and infiltrated the church and, and said, well, you know, following Jesus, the Messiah, is, is absolutely important. You must do that, but... To truly be a servant of Jesus Christ, to truly be born again, to truly be sanctified, you need to go back to Moses and bring all the legal stuff and all the ceremonies back into your life. Then you'll truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I know that's false, don't we? 
But apparently in Paul's day, they didn't kind of get that. And so Paul deals with that here, point by point. Just quickly look at this here, because he tells us, first of all, his concern. He says the word, I'm astonished. This is Paul saying, what is the matter with you people? Not the kind of letter we want to get, is it? You get that email, and if the first words, I'm astonished, with you know, several exclamation marks behind that, you're a little nervous about reading the rest of the letter. I'm astonished, number one, about those who have deserted the gospel. I'm astonished that you are so what? Quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It just blows his mind away. How could you do this? How could you people allow someone to so influence you that you would desert the gospel of Jesus Christ and follow some other gospel? Now remember... He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's not talking here about us losing our salvation. He's talking about us who would take our focus off the truth and follow other things. Have you ever in your time watched a TV preacher of any kind, any stripe? doesn't matter who it is. As a Christian watching that, you should have, we should have the ability to discern at what point whether that individual is truly sharing the gospel or not. And whether or not there's a false gospel. How do we know that? We know that by knowing God's word. When we know the word of truth, then we'll be able to see, and, and little red flags might pop up. Say, oh, that doesn't sound quite right. How do I know that? Because God's word doesn't say that. And so Paul's astonished that they would desert these things. Not only that, in verse 7, his concern is about their, desertion of, uh, their distortion of the gospel. Verse 7. This is no real gospel at all, he says. Evidently, and these are these people called the Judaizers, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only are you following this, but they're perverting the gospel. They're adding things to it. They're taking away the truth of the gospel by putting stuff in there that has no place there. It's not the gospel. It's not helping at all. I think some of the, uh, I think the ESV calls it distorting the gospel rather than perverting the gospel. They're distorting these things. Sometimes we do that with the gospel. Does the Bible say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? Is that a true statement of the scriptures? It's not a trick question. <laughs> yes, of course it is. Is it sometimes a tendency to think, well, maybe there's a little asterisk beside that verse and go down to your margin and see there. Yes, but... You need other things as well. It doesn't say that in your Bible, does it? Is it true? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen and absolutely. That's the truth of the gospel. Because of what the gospel does, we can tell, believe in Jesus Christ. Now again, there's all kinds of nuances and things that we might have to share about what belief means. Repentance, and faith, and so on. But there's a tendency sometimes to distort the gospel. Well, that's what Jesus said. You know, the Bible says, believe on him and you'll be saved. But you really need to make sure you're doing this and so on. Why do we think we need to add to the good news of Jesus Christ? For since Jesus came, it's been working just fine in saving lost souls. I think God's got that. And his concern is about the way they distort these things. Further that, look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Quickly here, more more to be said. But here's where he becomes very uh, unpolitically minded in his thinking here. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, notice what he says now, let them be under what? 
God's curse. He's calling curses on them. He says, if you believe any gospel other than the one that saved you, let God's curse be upon you. Now, now you, don't, you don't do that in our day and age. You know, you, know, you start talking in those kinds of languages and, and you'll get canceled or whatever they call it in our society today. You, you can't do that. But such is the concern for Paul in the gospel. He says, this is how important it is. In fact, he says it again in verse 9. The very same thing. So you get the sense that his concern over the gospel, the way it's distorted, the way that people are, are leaving the gospel, you've got to get this right because people will come in. Do you realize that in our day and age that the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is not the enemies out there. It's within the church. That's where the, these sort of Judaizers, they were sneaking into the church coming in. It's the internal stuff that's going to be more problematic. We understand the problems out there. We get it. It's when false teaching starts to come into the church. And so just an encouragement on that level, and, and we, we do this at, at camp. This is part of our, our DNA, is to be sure that we know the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can see and test and prove what might come in that sounds a bit different. It's not trying to be mean to people. It's just knowing what the gospel is. Because the church's life is at stake here. Now, if you go down here further, I think Paul emphasizes this in verse 10 as well, when he's concerned about whose approval is he wanting anyway. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I still trying to please people? This was one of the problems that was erupting in that day, that these, these false teachers were coming in and saying, oh yeah, Paul, he's just all about himself. He's looking for his own approval. He wants you to, to pat him on the back, that sort of thing. And he says, are you kidding me? Do you think I want people's approval or God's? I mean, he had sold his whole life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. His approval was about God's and God's alone. And dear friends, the end of the discussion, you and I are accountable not to one another in that sense, but to God himself, to get things right with him. Now, that's an important thing, and Paul takes it seriously, but I like the quote of Leonard Ravenhill. He said, many pastors criticize me for taking the gospel so seriously. But do you really think that on the judgment day, Christ will chastise me saying, Leonard, you took me too seriously. Not going to happen. And I, and I want our focus as believers here today, as brothers and sisters, to have that laser focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if you don't know it, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then today that you might trust in him alone, that you would see your sin and repent of your sins and trust Christ alone for your salvation. And if you're a child of God, that you would see the importance of spending much, much time in the word. Because we will not learn these things. We will not grow in grace if we spend little time in God's word and prayer. Well, lastly, let me just share as we bring to a conclusion here my third point. And that's the truth about the gospel and the blessings that we receive from it. The truth of the gospel and the blessings that come from it. In other words, I don't want to give the impression that my message today is a diatribe against those who might have different opinions on things. But rather, I want to see that if we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ correctly, according to the scriptures, many blessings come from that. Go back to chapter 1, verse 4, for instance. Right at the start, we notice one of those great blessings. What does it say there? He tells us in verse 4, He gave himself for our sins to what? Rescue us from the present evil age. 
It's a rescue mission. One of the grand blessings of the gospel is the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, takes us from the sinful, unworthy lives that we live and gives us eternal life, life of joy here and life eternally with him. Is that not a blessing? Dear friends, none of us would be here this morning, I think, if we didn't see that as a blessing of the gospel because it truly saves us. But if you follow Paul's teaching, he talks much about the blessings of the gospel. In Romans 1.16, you remember that verse as well. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's the powerful reality that takes us from our lost condition and makes us right before God. It puts us into the proper position of worship of our holy God. You think of the other wonderful blessings that we receive in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're poured into our lives daily. Is there not the reality of our lives every day that the gospel is a blessing? Jerry Bridges uh, used to be with Navigators and gone to be with the Lord, an author, a wonderful author and, and Christian writer, uh, said, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I love that because my encouragement through the day has to be from the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I know, I don't know any of you personally, I know that your lives might be like mine too, and sometimes your days are filled with stuff. Hard stuff, anxious stuff, painful stuff. Oh yes, blessings and good things, but isn't life hard? Where do you draw encouragement from? Well, for me... I draw encouragement from my wife, who stands with me all the time of these 39 years. My friends like David and ministry at the camp and all that. Those are encouragements. But ultimately, that's not going to sustain us. It must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it means that there is a God who loves me so much that he sent himself in the form of the Son to suffer and die a cruel death on a cross, not for his own sins because he had no sins, but for my sins, in fact, the sins of one who hated him. This God who loved me and sent his son to die for me and take away my sins is with me all the time. He's never away from me. The spirit of Christ dwells in me. I have his love with me. I have his encouragement. I have his guiding hand to lead me. When I fall down, he picks me up. When I do something wrong, he chastises me. He carries me. He leads me. He guides me. And one day, I'll be at his feet singing his praises forever and ever. Is that encouraging? Absolutely. It doesn't mean it solves my present dilemma. But it means I have the strength and encouragement to get through that one, the next one, and the next one, and glorify God, and one day be in his presence and no longer ever have any of those anxious moments again. Anybody here looking forward to heaven? Well, the gospel is that blessing that carries us there. And so, friends, I think I want to just leave us with that point, because whether it's a ministry in the hills of Pennsylvania, or whether it's a church here in the lovely farmlands of Moreland, Pennsylvania. We missed the first turnoff, had to take the next one and come up there. We're enjoying the day so much. We only lost a minute. We were good. Doesn't matter where we are. Let's get the gospel right so that Christ would be glorified. And that as a church, this would be that beacon of light. Not because you're all nice people, and I'm sure you're all nice, wonderful people, but because people find here there's hope. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It is my story, my Father's plan. The Son has rescued me. 
Oh, what a gospel. Oh, what a peace. My highest joy and my deepest need. Now and forever, he is my light. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this gospel, the church is one. We do not walk alone. We have his spirit as we press on to lead us safely home. And when in glory, still I will sing of this old story that rescued me. Praise to my Savior, the King of life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.